Shalom, shalom, and welcome to another episode of God's Little Hummingbird, the podcast where we are reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end, using the original languages as a guide. Today we are in Leviticus chapter 25, and personally, it's one of my favorite chapters. It is, we are, um, we are going to be reading in the New King James Version Bible, and we are reading in English, but I will point out quite a few Hebrew words today. Some of the things which have been translated in such a way that kind of make it, they just make it sound different than what it actually is. So this is going to be awesome. It's a fantastic chapter and is talking about the Yovel, the year of Jubilee. <clears throat> Excuse me <laughs> for my throat. Okay, so I do pray, Father God, please open our eyes, ears, and hearts to you. And please just help us to see your truth and go closer to you in this. Verse 1. And Yahweh spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then Yahweh shall keep, the, I'm sorry, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to Yahweh. Now the word Sabbath means to stop or rest, okay? So six years you shall sow, sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to Yahweh. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the, and the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you. Now notice there the word produce is actually in italics, which signifies that word was not there in the original language. Okay, so let's read that again. And the Sabbath of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So I want you to understand something here. The seventh year, every seventh year, when we're in the land of Israel, we give our land a year of rest. We let it lie fallow, and we don't till it. We don't work the soil. We kind of let it go wild, so to speak. You're not harvesting that year in a way that um, would be in such a way of like they would used to like, you know, harvest the wheat and put it into sheaves or gather all these grapes and, you know, make the wine for the year or whatever it would be. But then if you go on to notice, you still can eat the produce of that year. So whatever is growing naturally, you can eat, but you're not harvesting. So there's a huge difference. Think of Yeshua, Jesus, and his disciples walking through the grain fields on a Sabbath. Now it was work to harvest, but it isn't work necessarily to simply just grab some food and eat, and which is what the disciples did that day. They grabbed some wheat and they ate it right there, just, just right in the fields. They didn't go cook it. They didn't go grind it. They didn't do anything else. They just kind of shucked it, put it in their hands, rolled it together. That's how you get the wheat out. Um, and they ate it. And that's what's happening this seventh year. You're not actually out there working your fields. Whatever grows naturally, you can eat that day. You could go out and grab it and eat, but you're not going to do a huge harvest, so to speak. And notice this is also the livestock can eat of it and the beasts can eat of it. 
And if you know anything about open pollinated varieties of seeds, when you let them grow and mature to seed, they will naturally replant themselves. So they will fall in the ground and some of them will typically germinate upon contact with that soil and when the moisture conditions are right and when the heat conditions are right and they will actually produce another plant. And so that is this year, <laughs> you're letting the produce have a rest from you overgathering it or for gathering it, maybe not overgathering it, gathering it, but just gathering it. And it's going to grow whatever it grows and it will fall to the ground, most of it, because you're not harvesting it. You're only gathering what you're eating in small quantities and it will plentifully reseed. Okay. Verse eight, and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Okay, does that sound like anything? Remember in Leviticus chapter 23, the Feast of Shavuot, which they call Pentecost in the Greek. Do you remember from the first day of the week that is always Feast of Firstfruits, which is the day Jesus rose from the dead, because he rose sometime on that first day of the week during the night before sunrise Sunday. Then we were to count seven Sabbaths to the day after the seventh Sabbath, which is again the day after a, sab a Sabbath is always a Sunday, because it was seven Sabbaths later, and there's no yearly Sabbath then, so it wasn't to the day after some random weekly Sabbath that was a high day. It wasn't that. It was the weekly Sabbath. And then that day after that seventh Sabbath would be the Feast of Shavuot Pentecost. And that is the day we received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that symbolize, that is very symbolic to this. And let's read a little bit more about this because it's going to help us even better understand that feast. Verse 9. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land. Okay, so this is in the 49th year. And you are five months previous to the 50th year. So five always symbolizes that learning period of Torah. And you blow the trumpet. Now, this doesn't actually say... Okay, so the word Jubilee here is not the same as the word Jubilee in the next few verses. So typically the word for Jubilee is um, Yovel. But here, this is the word Taruwa, which means trumpet blowing, shouting. It, it doesn't mean Jubilee. <laughs> well, it doesn't mean what the other Jubilee means. It's a different variation, but this is the word Taruwa. And we have the holiday we just read about in Leviticus chapter 23 called Yom Teruah, day of shouting, day of trumpets. So this is literally when you cause the, in that word trumpet there, they use is actually shofar. When you cause the shofar of, and then this is the word too, of the, of the shouting or the trumpet sound, the trumpet blast, the warning sound, to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpets to sound throughout your land. So, and you shall consecrate or set apart as holy the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a yovel, there's the word jubilee, yovel, for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Now, that word yovel is the word, I mean, it's very similar 
in meeting, okay? It is very, very similar in meeting, but it's not, it's not the exact same. This is the word teruah, and this is the word yovel, and they both symbol, mean sim, um, similar things. The teruah can mean shouting, warning cry, trumpet blast, and this word yovel means ram, ram's horn, trumpet, or cornet, like which is a, a, just a smaller trumpet. And so it's similar, but it is a different word. So I want to point that out because in one verse is the word teruah, and in the next verse is the word yovel. Okay, now notice in this 50th year, it's the year of freedom. The roch is the Hebrew word there. And so if you think about what that goes back to and links to this feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, that was 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Okay, so Feast of First Fruits, Yeshua rises from the dead. And then the number 50 we know symbolizes freedom. And on that 50th day, we got the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit leads us in obedience to the law of Moses in truth and righteousness. It's a really neat picture that when you get the Holy, when we get the Holy Spirit on that 50th day, or when we got the Holy Spirit, symbol, you know, truly on that 50th day, the day of Pentecost or Shavuot, it was leading us in freedom. Not freedom from obedience of the law, but freedom so that we are no longer under the curse of the law because we are now being led in obedience. We are led in freedom because if I am sinning, I am stuck in Egypt. But the Holy Spirit leads me out of Egypt, and, and therefore I am free. I no longer serve sin, but now I serve Father God. And so I love that picture. Now we're going to read more about what actually happens in the 50th year. But interesting to note here as well. When Yeshua returns, and we talked about this in Leviticus 23, he returns at the Feast of Trumpets on Yom Teruah, which is the seventh month, the first day. Then we have the 10-day Battle of Armageddon because he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and his saints are with him. And there's a huge battle for 10 days. And then on the 10th day of the Feast of the Day of Atonement, they blow the great trump sound. That's this trumpet. So I believe that Yeshua will return during the 49th year and then the following year begins our freedom. Well, I mean, it kind of begins right when he returns. But if you get what I'm saying, because remember the book of Ezekiel, and maybe you don't remember if you haven't read it, but the book of Ezekiel clearly says that we will be searching the land and cleansing the land and burying the dead bodies for seven months and we know Yeshua returns during the seventh month of the biblical year. And five months later, we begin a new year. And in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 45, we're specifically told that then our Prince David, which we know as Yeshua, because David's not coming back to reign, that he will, as our Messiah, cleanse the temple and lead us again. And um, it says that time we'll, we'll keep the Passover with him. And then those other feasts. So that's in Ezekiel 44, 45, and 46. And so I believe that the year Yeshua returns, he returns in, that, in the 49th year, the Feast of Trumpets. We blow that great trump on the, the day of um, 
the day of atonement, which is the day he judges the world. And then five months later, like we're told in Ezekiel, he cleanses the temple on Abib first. Because it takes us those many months to what? Learn Torah. Why is it five months? What is he teaching his people? The Torah. Because most of his people don't understand the Torah. They don't understand. All of us have places we're learning. And so he's going to be teaching us and we're going to be cleansing the land, which I think is very symbolic of cleansing us in our hearts also. Like Isaiah says, those who erred will err no longer and they will learn obedience and they will no longer fight, basically, is what I'm paraphrasing. But it says they will stop arguing and come to submission to him. And so... That's why I think this feast is ultimately portraying is the freedom that comes when Messiah returns. And it's the freedom that comes spiritually when we accept him as our savior and then learn the Torah and get that infilling of the Holy Spirit, which leads us in obedience to Torah. The Holy Spirit does not ever teach me to disobey God. The Holy Spirit gives me power to overcome my sin. Okay, that was a big explanation, but I hope it makes sense. Verse 12. For it is the Yovel, the Jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. So notice here they have year to year, back to back, where there's two years that are Sabbaths. Oh, you know, I needed to back up and read verse 11. I apologize. Let me just start over in verse 10. <laughs> and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee or Yovel for you. And each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Now, remember, when Yeshua returns, it says we divide up the land again, and it's a way that's never been done before. We are physically going to return to the land and return to our family's inheritance. Other people, well, not my family, because we're Levites. So that's pretty awesome, because Yahweh is our inheritance. But verse 11, that 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the Yovel, the Jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. Again, you're not reaping, harvesting, planting, sowing, you're not doing the big tending, but whatever naturally is growing, you can eat. But you're not doing the, you're not harvesting it, okay? You're not reaping it. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. And according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your Elohim, for I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Okay, what that is saying is, every 50th year, so remember in the 49th year, because every 7th year is a Sabbath, in the 50th year is another Sabbath. So particularly in that time, that 7th year and the following year are both years of Sabbath. And in that 50th, so of the land, so you're not sowing it or reaping it. And then in that 50th year, that marks when everything goes back to the original possessor because, see, Father God, by lots, told the tribes where they were going to live and which, where their um, boundaries were. 
And when he returns, when Yeshua Jesus returns, it tells us in Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48, he tells us how he will divide the land up again amongst the Israelites and the Gentiles that choose to cling to them. Those are the last two verses in Ezekiel 47 mentions the Gentiles particularly. And so that land was given to each of the families as an inheritance by God. And so as a way to perpetuate their inheritance and their name, God makes provision so that they continue to get that land at the end of 50 years. So here's how it would work. Let's say, pretend I wasn't a Levite and pretend my family was in Judah. And I had some land and and I wanted to sell it to my neighbor because I needed the money. So my neighbor, we figure out how many years are left until the Jubilee, how many years of production he's going to get from that land. And the more years, the higher the price. So isn't that neat? It's way better than the real estate market works today. (laughs) But in this situation, you're basically leasing the land for crop production. And if there's only one year until the Jubilee, well, you're not going to get very many crops from it. There's only one year before it has to go back to him. So you're only going to basically lease it or pay him for one year's worth of produce. But if there's 15 years left until the Jubilee, then I would determine how many crops that then produces, how productive it is, figure out the price. And of course I have to make profit as well, but you would pay him based on that many number of years of use. And if he sells to you in your, the first year, then you have a whole 49, 48 years that it's going to be productive. Minus of course the, the every seventh year. So you would calculate those out. And so (laughs) That's what they're talking about here. And that's how they determined the value of the land. Verse 18. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them. And you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year and it shall bring forth produce enough for three years years. That's so awesome. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old harvest produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. So in the sixth year, God says he's going to bless enough. You're going to have enough for three years. You're going to store it up. Um, your, whatever it is, your, your wheat, your barley, your harvest, all those things. And for three years, you're going to have enough because then in the seventh year, you're not going to do it. And then um, in the eighth year, you will sow again if it's not the year of Jubilee. But remember, that whole growing season, you still don't have anything from last year. But you do actually have it from the sixth year. <laughs> so there was enough produce that you get through the eighth year growing season that when you start to harvest it in the ninth year, is becoming, starting to become, you're eating the old harvest still from the sixth year. That's pretty amazing. 23. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So this is Yahweh speaking to Israel. Like, don't you think you own this land? This is mine. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. See, here, you can't be greedy. This is it. That is not your land. You can borrow it. You can lease it. But it is not going to be yours if it's not your family's. Would have helped America out a lot, wouldn't it? 
If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. So if there's a family member who's a kinsman redeemer, and he can come in and buy it back for the family, you're supposed to let him do that. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. For example, year 15, I sell the land for the remaining, what, 35 years. But then in year 20, I can buy it back. So I have to, ref- I have to take off the value of the five years that was used by that man, and then I buy it back at a cheaper value because now I'm only paying for the remaining 30 years, not the 35 years, if that makes sense, of the produce. Because I'm calculating how much produce it's going to yield for me. And those are my, that's my profit, that's my money, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to glean from it. So the number is based upon that. Verse 28, but if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return to his possession. So if you sold it in year 15 and you were 20 years old in the 50th year, which is 35 years later, so then you would be 55 in the land that would be the 50th year of the Jubilee. It becomes yours again, no matter what. That man or person, whoever purchased it or leased it, so to speak, has to return it to you. Verse 29, if a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it. Throughout his generations, it shall not be released in the Jubilee. Okay, so this is talking about with not the land. This is no land involved other than, well, I mean, there's a tiny bit of yard probably, but this is your house in within walled cities, within the city, okay? Houses you could sell, but you cannot sell the land because somebody, you need to make your food from the land. That's what you eat. But you didn't necessarily need that house because you could have constructed a house out on the land. Verse 31, however, the houses of villages which have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields in the country. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in the year of Jubilee, which makes sense because if out in the field I put this little hut or this little house, well, that basically goes with the land. And, you know, if I was leasing the land and then got access to that house for that time, well, if I'm not working that land anymore, why am I there? (laughs) I don't need that. But in the city, it's different because you're not actually technically, there's no land in the city that's being worked. The land that's being um, utilized for food is outside of the city walls. Verse 32, nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses in the cities of their possession, the Levites may redeem at any time. So that's like my family. We were given, we're giving, given portions within each tribes, territory. And those cities can never be just completely purchased away from us. And we always have the right to redeem them. Verse 33. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee for the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. And that's because we don't get any land. We don't have any land. And so that would impoverish us even more. And not that we're impoverished, but it's like we don't, We are relying upon 
we will be reliant upon again the children of Israel providing for us because we have the work of the Lord to do. And we need to be diligent in doing that. And yes, there's a rotation service. And so there are people working the land, but if, but we also need to have these houses to dwell in because sometimes we have to be at the temple. There is a rotation and you have to leave your house, you have to leave your land, and you must do the service of the house of Yahweh. And so if you're not able to work your land or have your house and you don't have, you know, and you're not ta- being taken care of by the children of Israel, but then they buy your stuff because you needed money, but then you never get that back. You just become poor and poor. And then you have no way to even do what God's calling you to do. So that is why the Levite stuff is always going to remain theirs. Verse 34, but the field of the common land of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. So they could sell their house, but they get it back <laughs> in the year of Jubilee, but they can never, ever, ever feel, sell their fields because they need to be able to eat. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him. I, I, let me back up. I'm sorry. I kind of left that hanging. Verse 34, yes, they need to eat, but it's also because their work is doing the service of God. They aren't going to go become a shoemaker or a tent maker, because they have to be ready to fulfill their duties of the temple service and, you know, the um, altar service when, when they're called. So they can't get these other jobs always, which is why they are taken care of in a separate way, because they are physically, we are physically doing the work of God. Verse 35, if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Okay, that's really important, people. <laughs> and we've, we do try to do that, like um, personally, and I'm sure you guys do too. If, but if there's a believer and they become so poor, they can't afford to be there anymore or they're losing their house or something, you are supposed to help them. You help them so that he can remain with you because we need each other. And here's a key verse, 36, take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. So you don't loan him money at interest. That is forbidden. And honestly, in America, they make you, we don't, we've literally loaned money to people and we go against the, <laughs> we go against America on this and we never took a loan and people are like, you have to put in, or we, we didn't put interest on it. And they're like, you have to charge them interest. I'm like, we're not going to. <laughs> so get over it. And we didn't. And it's actually, um, that just proves again, America doesn't follow the Bible. But interesting, God is so specific here. Don't, because if you're already poor, why charge them more for the money they already don't have? Come on, you're trying to help them out, people. Verse 37, you shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. Right? If he's hungry, you give it to him. Help him out. And yeah, they can pay you a fair price, but you don't have to make it a profit. I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So basically he's saying, look, I gave you everything you're going to have. I'm giving you everything you're going to have. Don't you oppress somebody else who doesn't have anything right now. You help them out. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. And yes, people, this is hard to understand for some people. But God makes a difference between his people and those who are not his people. And those who are not his people, those who are the Gentiles, can become slaves. And let me quickly point out a few verses. When Jesus, our Messiah, returns the second time, 
There are a number of verses that say the Gentiles that choose not to serve him, the ones who are not, because remember, we've already read this. If you are a Gentile and you choose to follow God, you are treated as a native born Israelite. We just read it in Leviticus 24. We've, I've pointed it out in Ezekiel chapter 47, the last two verses. There's other verses as well that we've already pointed out. So if you are a believer in Messiah, you're no longer counted as a Gentile. Ruth was no longer counted as a Moabite. She was grafted in to the house of Judah and became the grandmother of David. Remember that. But if these Gentiles who are remaining of the nations who will not serve Yahweh, they will physically be our servants. And here's where it says that. Here's a few of the verses. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 22 through 23. Isaiah chapter 60, verses four, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 5. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 22 through 23. And there are other little indicators. So, if you don't serve God, He makes you subject to His people. He will make you subject to His people. And at this time in history as well, the people who did not serve God could be slaves. And honestly, it makes sense because Father God deserves respect and holiness. And if you're not going to be respectful of him and you're not going to love him and you're not going to honor him, why do you deserve his blessings? You don't. Now, not that we do either, but when you turn from your sin and you are trying to love him, he's going to honor that. And so these are the people who aren't even trying. They, aren't, they don't want him. They, are, they were the nations that are subdued or subjected. But what God is saying, don't you dare treat your brethren like that. Don't you dare treat him like a slave. Verse 40, as a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you. So kind of like an employee. Think about an employee. He can, he can be like an employee and he shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers. So honestly, what they had back then was mostly agricultural jobs. And this person came to you to help you work on your land. He had to maybe, maybe he leased his land to you because he fell into poverty. And so he's working for you for a wage for his food. And so you let him, but in the it, hopefully he's been able to save up money by the 50th year so then he can get back on his feet and when he gets his land back, he can then work it. Verse 42, For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your Elohim. And as for your male and female slaves, whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in their land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with vigor. Now, I will point out <laughs> that the early founders of America were not Torah observant nor following the Bible, and they were not ever to treat your slaves rude or, or evil. We're, we're told that other places. We're told it in the New Testament. Masters, treat your slaves with kindness and gentleness. Basically, as a master, you're trying to teach that 
slave about God. You're wanting them to repent and come to God. So America's slavery was not biblical slavery, okay? And ultimately, God's way would there would be that there be no slavery. He would want all of the people to love him. Everyone. Because that's his heart. But this is a consequence for the people who won't love him and who don't love him. And it talks about, we've already read a few verses or a few places in Leviticus where it talked about how to treat the slave. You weren't, you weren't to kill them. You weren't to do certain things. But if you know the heart of God and you understand the spirit of the law, we are to always be just and merciful. And so don't get this confused with the slavery we're taught about, talk, we are taught about in America where they were treated horribly and put in these barracks and starved and beaten and everything. Those f- people, those men who pretended to be Christians were not Christ-like at all. They didn't keep the Sabbath. They didn't keep the Torah. And they were doing that system based on greed and money-mongering and all social wickedness. So don't get it confused, if in, even though it uses the word slavery. Basically, this, what this means is they are your servant. You possess them. You own them. Abraham had slaves, but he treated them kindly and well. Verse 47. Now, if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger, that's the Gentile, or sojourner close to you, or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or anyone who is near of kin to him and his family may redeem him, or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Thus he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. If there are still many years remaining, according to them he shall repay the prices of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. And if there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him, and according to his years he shall repay him the price of his redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and he shall not rule over him with vigor. He shall not rule with vigor over him in your sight. So this is talking about when you purchase back one of your brothers or you hire one of your brethren who went to a non, not good environment. Let's just pretend like in in modern worlds, let's say, um, went to this very ungodly environment to work. You hire them and you would take care of them and not rule, rule over them with vigor, but Okay, agriculturally, is let's say you have land that can be worked. Your brother falls into poverty and can't find anybody around him to hire him. And so he went to a Gentile nation. And you know that the children of Israel are to be separate from the Gentiles. And so you go and offer him a job with you. You hire him, so to speak, and say, oh, I'll hire you for the remaining 20 years until the year of Jubilee, or only five years. And that's the amount of money you give him, how many years he's going to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Because in the year of Jubilee, then he is allowed to go free and return to his land. But you have saved him from having to serve amongst the Gentile pagans. And you have brought him back to be with the Israelite believers. I hope that makes sense. And if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants of whom 
whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. Well, everyone, that was a very long chapter, but I see. I hope you see why I love it so much. It's just so beautiful, and I can't wait until all of us walk in that freedom, that deror of the Holy Spirit, as God sets us free in his beautiful son, in him himself, the Father, the beautifulness of him. Have a blessed day, everyone.